Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I am joined by Sam Williams. Greetings. And young Bruce Fitzpatrick. Hello. How are we doing, gents? Got a, got a bit of gravel in the voice there, Mills, on the introduction. I did notice, yeah. A bit of husk. I'm going for the, um, just going for the croaky man effect. It's just a, mm. just a, like a filter that I've put on just for this podcast. You've had oh, some nice. feedback this week from our listeners saying, uh, They'd prefer you to be a little bit more husky if you can manage it. And a little bit more Welsh if I could manage it. So I might just do the whole thing like this and see how it goes, see. Right, anyway. Um, <clears throat> quick word from our sponsors. Quick word from our sponsors before we get going. Uh, no coffees today. Um, well, I was thinking taste. Probably be the, the uh, un- unofficial oh, sponsor okay. of the last week. Yeah, with coffees this week will be provided by Taste at full at full whack. Taste up at St Andrews. We, we have we did our morning run. Had to wait in the queue just like everybody else. But you know, got to do your thing for the sponsors. We've been based up at St Andrews for the last uh, week, doing some filming, haven't we, chaps? What a we trip. have indeed. Mm. We should also clarify. Um, joking aside, it was a piece of marketing work with Scotland Wet Golf began, which is part of. A very exciting little old Tom series. So, uh, in case anyone thought we were completely, uh, completely breaking any lockdown rules, uh, to kind of get the project to where we need it to be, we need to make a bit of an early start, didn't we? So, um, we kind of put it off as long as we could, and yeah, we managed to time it very nicely with the weather. That sounds like a man who's been handling far too many angry <laughs> DMs on the Instagram and the Twitter. I mean, yeah. But no, no well, seriously, we had a, a good bit of disclosure. You have, you, you have a go at me for, for sounding like a lawyer now and then on the podcast. And there you are just throw, throwing out some, <laughs> some caveats there. No, it is, it is fair enough. Um, obviously, you know, things aren't totally back to normal yet, but we were very fortunate, obviously, to, to have some work like that come our way and, and uh, get three brilliant days of weather for the filming as well, mm. really. We'll, we'll get on to We'll get on to what we did shortly, but I think if we, if we rewind maybe a week, it might be able to outline why there were some empty promises on this podcast that perhaps we need to go and address. I think on the previous podcast, Sam, Sam quoted that we would be podding live like there was any other You've way to pod. You've got to pod live, haven't you? Can I just get this out there? You <laughs> can't pod retrospectively. You can't well, pod in advance. What we do only, all, that's what we do all the time have, is a retrospective pod. You, by, pod. by definition, have to, you have to do it. We're podding live now, aren't we? We are podding we're live, doing. even though we're podding it doesn't live. go yeah, yeah, but it's not being consumed live. So no, that's and where... And their podcasts think, are because they're uploaded and, and enjoyed retrospectively. Anyway, we digress, Bills. We do digress. But we said that we were going to pod live about the Masters and the Sunday of the Masters was the day of our travel, and we decided to go via automobile to St. Andrews from Birmingham, which is about seven hours in the car. And we got there um, with an early start the next day at Carnoustie. I think we had a 5 a.m. start to get up there for sunrise for the filming up there. Um, and we all stayed down the barrel of Hideki Wind. It's a 1 a.m. Uh, finish. <laughs> and we were looking at it sort of, you know, 10 o'clock at night and thought, Christ, this just like seems like a walkover. Do you know what we should do? We should pod now, like four <laughs> holes before the end, and just say, yep, he's walked it, won it by four, no problem at all, release it live, let's go. Um, 
I just oh, want to make absolutely clear that I was never on board with that. And I always thought that was a terrible call. So you two idiots, sure. I mean, but I was never, ever taking part in that. Yeah. Well, well anyway, so what it would have to say there was nowhere near enough time to pod. By the way, on the way up, we turned that car into basically a, a traveling war room, didn't we? I mean, we packed an entire multimedia enterprise into the into the back and i mean you were firing away on the laptop there was all sorts of stuff going and unfortunately the excitement just didn't quite carry us over did it till 1am um was the early start i think that put us off but i think we should probably um we'll talk about the trip and then i think we'll we'll go back and talk about the masters and oh sequence hang on we should sequence it first i think we should talk about the masters okay let's do that that. i'll walk it back because there's a few there's a few honorable mentions a few, few honourable and a few honourable and dishonourable mentions. I think going chronologically seems to be the proper sequence uh, of starting it. And yes, it did did seem to start on a bit of a dishonourable note, didn't it? I mean, Wayne <laughs> Player. Have we ever seen any any more anything that could be, be better described as naked commercialism in our lives? Because that was just absolutely outrageous. It's vile behaviour. Okay, for the benefit of our listeners, to just what happened? Well, the you know. Honorary starters teeing off. Obviously, Lee Elder, um, you know, being a being in that role for for the first time, and what a terrific, um, moving story his was. Being there on the first tee, and Wayne Player, in his wisdom, thinks that that would be a great opportunity to hold up in the background a sleeve of encore golf balls right over Lee Elder's shoulder, just to make everyone abundantly clear that actually, you know, whilst it was brilliant what Lee Elder's story stood for and how the Masters was honouring this great man, just keep it in the back of your minds that there's some great golf balls out there that are <laughs> absolute steel. And uh, <laughs> just, you know, whilst you're watching that opening, uh, those opening tee shots, maybe you could just, you know, fire up Amazon and, and order a few of those for yourself as well. Okay. So Wayne plays Gary's sons, all right? right. That is correct. Okay. Um, Gary Player's been an ambassador for them a couple of years, I think. If you, okay, there's two things that I'm going to raise here. Wayne Player is now banned from the Masters for life. Mm, is correct. that really a bannable thing? Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, you go back to when that tournament was created, and I'm pretty sure Bobby Jones wrote the rules that still sit on the cards you get when you go through. There's like a series of rules, and the whole thing was it's a gentleman's tournament. And everything the master stands for is about kind of integrity and upholding standards. And that just flies in the face of it. I think it's just crass behavior. I mean, Gary player just generally, like I know it's not Gary player holding the balls up, but I mean, it's hard. I think it's a good stretch to think he didn't have a hand in it somewhere. Um, it just seems to be wide, wider the mark on judgment. I think that in isolation is appalling behavior, but it's like, it's Gary player. you like, you're just never surprised, are you? The guy just seems to put his foot in it. Um, but what's well, the difference he, Wayne, between what's the difference Wayne between Player's done it on his t-shirt? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's a different thing. When you're holding it over Lee Elder's yeah. shoulder, you know, <laughs> there's I mean, some real li- conscious thought and you know yeah. activity going on there, isn't it? Where it's Wild just like behavior. It's just not in the spirits, is it? I mean, we don't need to digress too long on this. Mm. But, but he's, um, he's but, done it before, though. So I think he has. Yeah, yeah. He he spent like five nights in a Georgia jail um, on charges of fraud, I think, like a couple of years ago because um, he took a house 
for the week of the masters and the check bounced, and then he didn't pay. And yeah, I think he's, I think he's sort of had a questionable history in around the masters before. So yeah, I mean, it, it's shockingly bad judgment from the guy. And he tried to pretend that he's like, I just wanted to make people aware of what ball my, uh, my dad was teeing off with <laughs> as if that's at the front brilliant. of everyone's mind. Absolutely it was brilliant. quite funny. On a separate note, I mean, Gary Player, I mean, it sounds like you, you've you not got the best opinion of him, Sam, but I think it was quite amusing in the coverage they showed him and Jack Nicholas warming up on the range before they hit those ceremonial opening tee shots, which I just think is brilliant that those two guys who have had such successful careers and have been such fierce competitors have still got it in them that they're like, yeah, I want to absolutely rip that drive down the uh, down the opening hole or yeah, as the as the ceremonial, ceremonial first tee shot. So I'm going to practice. <laughs> It just yeah. seems to be wide of the mark sometimes. That's all. I don't, you know, he seems to have controversy around him a lot more than, you know, Jack mm. does by contrast, doesn't he? Um, I'll tell you what, though. If I were the the MD of Encore, I'd be like, Wayne, here's your 100 grand bonus. You are an absolute hero. Everybody now is talking about Encore golf balls. Um, well done. Job done. Gary, well, he actually a, issued an apology, the CEO did. But yeah, up, as you say, behind closed doors, behind who, knows, closed who doors. knows what was said. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't talking about Encore Golf Balls before this this week. So, I mean, if that's what the, if that's what the, the objective was, then he's done it, hasn't he? Fair play. Naked commercialism right there. Anyway, so that's the... Uh, slightly dishonourable start that the Masters got off to. Um, but I guess, yeah, I mean, it feels like we're kind of covering old news to a certain extent, but still a few storylines worth picking up on. I think the first one is just the fact that DJ and McElroy both both missed the cut and how difficult that that course was playing in the opening two rounds. It was quite surprising. Were there any, I mean, Sam, you obviously like a bit of a punt on the majors. Um, how How did you fare in that? I got nine through on the, the gambling event. syndicate. So, right, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, just on the gambling, obviously, Michael Verity um, pricked our ears to Corey Connors, who's also having a great performance this week at Hilton Head. Um, Zalatoris, although a lot of people are crediting Michael Verity, I think that was Tom's pick. So, uh, mm. bravo, Tom. It was surprising, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know, maybe just a bit of a reminder of how compressed these guys are in terms of their scoring averages and stuff. Um, McElroy just doesn't look at the races, does he? Just becomes a soundtrack <laughs> of this podcast. Let's let's not wind. I know that's going in your quote bank along with who's it? Mickelson doesn't stack up or something. What was that? What was the last one? Yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. Obviously, a lot of big names missed the cut. You could you could beat him around black cards. You reckon, Sam? McElroy, yeah. Pop, maybe at the moment. Maybe at the yeah, moment. Yeah. If I got if I got my new yeah, that's all I was asked. <laughs> I, I think it was it was a good tournament. We don't need to go through it in, in my, microscopic detail, given it's a week past the event. But I do think um, it felt like the action came on a Saturday. Sunday was a little bit fairly kind of tepid, wasn't it, I think, to watch. I mean, Matsuyama just eviscerated the field on that back nine on Saturday, which was amazing to watch, really. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, apart from McElroy not being in it and DJ not being in it, we've also got... Um, a DQ for signing for a lower score with Matt Wolf. Yeah, I didn't really. Um, he wasn't in the races anyway, to be fair. But no, but I think it's, it's pretty remarkable, to... isn't it? And I, I can't. You can't believe that with the amount of 
you know, tech around everybody's got the score, how you could just get it wrong. Like, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's hard enough to get it wrong on as an amateur, let alone, you know, you ask your partner, what did you get? He tells you what you got and you agree and you sign and that's that. And standing. So he, he signed wrong. for an artificially high score, Matt Wolf did. Low score. Uh, he, on the 17th. Oh, I thought it was, you could do one. No, you could only get DQ'd for going high. Can't get DQ'd for mark. So you can only get DQ'd for marking lower. Can't be DQ'd. You just have to ride it out. So if, if you made a six and you put down a 10, you just have to ride with a 10. So you put down two basically score, punished four shots if you go um, high, but if you go correct. low, you get punished yeah. for. I mean, slightly beyond belief, isn't it? Um, yeah, and there was, I mean, it was it was quite nice though he when the week there, started. He? No, he was missing a cut anyway. I think it was nice when the week starts with a bit of controversy that ends quite nicely, and I thought just like how much of a difference a little gesture, Matsuyama's caddy at the end bowing to the golf course, mm. that went viral, mm. didn't it? And it was just a yeah, you think. That's a nice little touch. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the respect there is, is lovely to see. And obviously that, that, you know, I think a lot of people quite rightly, and I'm not going to pretend like I know this, but a lot of people seem to suggest that's, that's very much part of sort of Japanese culture and, and, and kind of philosophy as it were. Um, but there was a, you know, there's a, a great point there, which is that it was a lovely thing to see and just a stark reminder of, of how, badly some pros talk about golf courses in historic places like augusta like dechambeau calling it a past 67 back <laughs> in november is about as far removed as you can get mm. from someone bowing as a sign of respect and actually incidentally on that point i think someone worked out that relative yeah. to his own par of, of 67 dechambeau is like 48 over is he on in his last something eight rounds there or something. yeah so, because he missed a cut no, last, a last six rounds it's like he's like 30 over or something like that over bryson's par it's um yeah it's brilliant brilliant stuff. So, so the one one thing that that crops up in the last few weeks then would be wind droughts. So um the last few weeks have felt like big successes for people on massive wind droughts. So Lydia Ko obviously won last night. Mm. Matsuyama that's over 4 years or nearly 4 years since his last win. I find Spieth, that extraordinary. Texas. Yeah, so I, I so Justin Ray was absolutely hammering the wind drought stats on his Twitter feed. So um full disclosure on this one. But Spieth and Matsuyama, Spieth wins with 1351 days. Matsuyama then wins the week after with 1344 days. Was Matsuyama's last win at the Phoenix? Uh WGC Bridgestone, I believe. Mm. Was it? Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I do mm. remember watching that when he was just I think, in, uh, you know, he, he won pretty comfortably there, but he just put on an exhibition at Firestone. Um, I didn't realise it was that long, though. Yeah. yeah really is not really isn't that time, weird isn't as well, the fact that you get the massive soundtrack for Spieth. Matsuyama hasn't won for four years. No one really talks about it. No. Yeah, He's in there Spieth week a, in, week out. But Spieth was like, is a four-time major winner, isn't he? Three. Four. Three-time major four. winner. Three. And um, that's the difference. Former world number one, like I think that fall from grace was was a big roller coaster, wasn't it? And Hideki's kind of just been always been there, just not winning. He's kind of the, the Tony Fee now, I suppose. Just always there, just not well, winning. Well, he, he's not won majors. He has won some pretty, you know, established events. So he's won like a WGC. It was a couple of WGCs, I think, or maybe it was at Firestone, and then the the HSBC Tournament of Champions. I think it might have been. Um, something of that order. And then obviously mm. a couple of waste management. So he's got a really good record and he's been his highest second in the world. But yeah, as you say, I guess that would probably be a reason why people talk more about Spieth is because it was such a rapid rise to 
your top of the world rankings and, and winning majors. But yeah, Lydia Ko, obviously the third one you mentioned there, just snapped a 1,065 day mm-hmm. out, I think. Brilliant. These to are see huge her win distances between winning, by the way. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. massive, like three, four, three and four years between clinching anything. That is nuts. Yeah. And I assume Markable. Stuart Sink, who is currently five shots in the lead, uh, teeing off on Sunday. I, I'm assuming he hasn't won in a little while. Yeah, I, I feel like he won sort of a, I don't want to say budget PGA Tour event because that obviously hits the <laughs> but ears. But you've like said it now. So. I've said it now. So I think he's, he's won a, a PGA Tour event that's perhaps not quite as highly sought after from memory. Maybe something like a Sanderson Farms or something recently. I could be wrong on that. Um, uh, but he's, I mean... He won the Safeway. Um, Safeway, there we go. Okay, mm. great Googling as we pod. Mills always... But, uh, but that Safeway, <laughs> the, here, here's a win. You always rely on Tom, can't you, mid-pod? <laughs> well, that Safeway win uh, in the 13th of September 2020, off the top of my head, roughly. Just roughly. Um, was 11 years since his last victory. Now, that's 3,600 days. And that was mm. the Open. So, that's a win. Scary level of golf he's been playing at Harbour Town. I mean, yeah. whenever someone shoots a 61 or two, three, something around that, they always say... Never follow it up. It's, you, you can never follow it up. I think they even quote Tom Mills now and then. Doherty and a few other commentators have obviously been listening to the podcast and they talk about regression to the mean. I don't know whether you've trademarked that or not, Mills. But, should do, um, should just ridiculous. It did come up on Sky. I'll have you know it did come up on Sky. No, it didn't. They, they, well, they didn't say regression to the mean or the norm, but they did say... Um, you know, when they start blistering really hot, they tend to trend backwards towards. Mm. And it, they they said it in a roundabout way. I could tell they were trying well, to they say can't, it. They the can't. They can't completely copy me because then they would they would have to mm. acknowledge the podcast, which they they won't, or probably don't even listen to. So it's just, you, you're right though. I was was it back to back sixty threes? Yeah, um, three by five. Gary, Gary takes and got some it time yesterday. Well, so, doesn't he? Like he, him and his son, with his son on the bag. He takes some time talking about shots. It's like, does he? It's getting hard. Like, you know, it's just, oh, is it a five? No, it could be a six. It could be a six. It's all of a six. Yeah, but it's an easy five. Don't know what to do. Is it six or five? Not sure. It's like, just fucking hit the ball. It's not that hard. Then he comes up like 40 yards short. Last night, though, they were just, they yeah. were they, they were going so hard. They had a, they had a nosebleed and they were just overthinking. But um, Who, who's this? Uh, sink, sink. sink and sink, I think. The, uh, <laughs> Sink squared. Yeah, sink squared. Um, just just on Harbour Town quickly, it's a proper equaliser of a course, though, it feels, mm. doesn't mm. it? So, awesome, yeah. You know, seeing seeing that happen. Last year, Webb Simpson, from memory, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure Tom knows off the top of his head yeah. in 30 yeah, it seconds. It is Webb time. Simpson. Um, no, it is Webb Simpson. It does feel like a good equaliser. Um, a lot of trees. So you played there, now playing corridors. I have, yeah. I played it in 20, I want to say five, yeah, five years ago, 2016, something like that. Is it um, tough? I, I loved it. I, I did really like it. Yeah, I mean, you just got to hit it straight. Like, it's an honest, honest test of holes, <laughs> really. Like, you have to hit the ball straight. And they have small greens. And That'll get it done most places, though. Um, it it's not crazy long, though. It's not. It's really not crazy long. But it's just like you have to be precise in where you're hitting to because of the, where the dog legs kind of pinch in and... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. It's not, it's not a woke architecture kind of course if you put it in that category. Oh, it's got sleepers, um, though. but um, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, 
you know, it's one of those events where I've tuned into over the years, obviously, because I guess when you play courses, you'd like to kind of look back and, and obviously compare it to how you played it. But um, as you say, Sam, I think it's, it's pretty cool to see who's won there over the years and how it is. A, it's kind of, uh, it neutralizes the sort of bomb and gouge game, like seeing guys like DJ who can't just, you know, blitz it over the corner, the distances they hit it, they have to be even more precise with how they shape mm. it and where they kind of fit it around the dog legs and things. That finishing hole looks awesome though. Yeah, the finishing hole's totally different to the rest of the course, I guess, in a way in that it's uh, you, you're out there in, in the open, basically, and you can just like nut one down that right side um, and not really worry about getting in any tree trouble. Um, but no, I, I think it's an awesome place and it would be good to see Stuart Sink hold on, really. Obviously, mm. Morikawa is his closest challenger, but five-shot lead at that level, yeah. how good those guys are, you've got to think he's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, but tying, tying some things back in, I mean, we talked about last week, Hideki had a six-shot lead, I think, at one point, and kind of... Nine to go, I think. Like yeah, that. just bled, and, you know, I think count the last... No lead's had, big enough, is it, on the PGA no, Tour? Everyone's so good, and you like you, you, you can't really bank on the fact that Stuart Singh can just turn up and, you know, knock an even par that round there and hope that's okay, because someone always goes low on Sunday. Like you've PGA, got to feel like two under is going to get it done though for him. You think yeah, if he sure goes out and shoots two under, he's going to win. But um, speaking of hitting it straight, we need to tie the stories back together really. So our Sunday after deciding not to podcast live. Just um, that's a six out of 10 segue. You're not having any more. You're that. not having it. That was an okay. average segue at best. But they've got we'll, to hit we'll it straight. We'll let you do it. Yeah. Got to hit it straight at Carnoustie. Well, exactly. Which is, I get which it. Is where I get we it. Head it's to. nice. Which is what we watch. Our, no doubt our listeners want to hear about is, you know, our little trip. Yeah. Well, we've got nothing else to talk about. So let's talk about Carnoustie. Um, what were your thoughts going into it, Bruce? N- none of us have played Carnoustie, which I think was quite mm. nice um, that we had a chance to see it and, and gauge opinions for ourselves. What, what did you think of it? Well, I, yeah, going in, so to answer your first question, like going into it, I think I had expectations that it was going to be you know, very, very difficult, quite a penal golf course. And I'd watched like, for someone who doesn't, who says on this podcast, how much, how I don't really watch that much professional golf live. I watched the vast majority of the 2018 open there, just because I think it was obviously Tiger's first time Mm. being back in contention in a major and it's the open. So it's one you watch anyway, or one I enjoy watching anyway, and all those things coming together. And so I had going in, I was like, yeah, I think I've got a pretty good idea of like what the holes on this, on this course are and how they play. Um, I wasn't sure on the routing of it, which is something that we all said when we arrived, like it was just hard getting your head around how in many ways it's actually quite a kind of small piece of land that Mm. it works its way around. And there's a lot of holes that kind of, run they almost run within an internal um yeah kind of internally is that as it were so they kind of cross back on one another and then you've got bits of the burnside course that maybe come in and separate bits of the championship course so it was interesting like getting your head around the routing of it and a lot of the holes i did kind of recognize from tv um i thought it was brilliant like i I actually think it it wasn't as peen as i was expected granted the rough was down um but it just it was all out in front of you. There were no real gimmicks. I can just see how it is like a perfect place to host the Open Championship because it, it can be really, really demanding, but it's always going to be fair, I think. Mm. What do you think, Mills? Um, 
It was a good synopsis by Bruce. I think um, I think I was fairly when I played, I was fairly intimidated. I mean, we we got there, so we we droned from like probably six o'clock, quarter past six for like an hour in what must have been sub-zero temperatures. Like my fingers just felt I couldn't operate the drone anymore. My hands were going to fall off. I just felt horrendous. And then it was like, right, boys, you, you, you've you got to get out first. So get out in front of the field and, and, and just kind of crack on. And I couldn't feel my hands. And the first few holes just felt like, felt like championship golf. I just felt a bit like I wasn't up to, up to scratch really. I just nutted it around, felt a bit intimidated. Every shot felt long, but when you kind of get through that, that sort of sixth hole with Hogan's alley, and then it kind of gives you a bit of a respite for a few, like till about 13 and they're all kind of good golf holes, but you know, ones you can get. And then when you turn from 14 in was just like, you know, now you got to play golf. They were, mm-hmm. they were yeah, tough just, golf it? holes, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, tough, tough golf holes. I mean, 14 is the par five gives you a chance there, doesn't it? But then, yeah, as you say, but that it's got that cavernous just, bunker. Mm, there's trouble, there, isn't there? Yeah. That's the thing. There is still like, trouble off the tee. Reachable yeah. fives. I mean, I, I found the, I mean, it, it, by the way, it's mega when you get out of the car. Shout out to uh, Nathan, who uh, starter and professional at Carnoustie. Top guy, absolutely world class player. In fact, even better when he managed to se- secure a woolly hat for me from the draw somewhere, which uh, we were so cold, weren't we? Mm. Um, that is the coldest I've ever been on a first tee. I would yeah, say like that we were now. literally shaking tin off. Um, so, yeah, um, I-, I think what I was going to say is kind of the brand of golf courses because going in, like I was obviously amped to play Carnoustie. It's an open track. I've never played Carnoustie before, but I wasn't in the same level of excited you might have been for playing the old or. You know, I don't know, even playing like a Birkdale for the first time or something like that. I don't know why that is, but a lot of people also say the same. They're like, yeah, I'd love to play Carnoustie, but it's never that sort of bucket list course. Um, and I also think there's a brand in there and the difficulty. So similar to you, Mills, you're like standing on tees. Mentally, I think making the course harder than it may be needed mm. to be. Um, for sure. And when you got over that for a few holes, it was like, Actually, if you hit the ball well and commit to it, you can get it round. I, I think we both said to each other on about the back end of the front nine in the morning saying there's a few sort of lithium vibes, mm. i.e. really kind of the test is off the tee. And yeah. whenever you stand on the tee, you really need to lean on your stroke saver because you need to see where these bunkers are because they will catch yeah. balls and they're yeah. all placed in the right spots. They're then exactly there is that the little, right spot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's, if, if you're big enough to carry some bunkers, they've just got some sneaky ones behind it. It's just like, it's just hard. Yeah. It's hard off the tee. You've really got to think. But when you're on the greens, you know, two putts are pretty easy, easy, easy achievement. Um, the back nine, though, that's, that's class, isn't it? Builds, mm. it's like a crescendo. It's sort of yeah. 13, tough par three, 14, 15. You're like, okay, these are getting really good now. And they play 16, 17, 18, which is just an obscenely difficult finishing stretch. But but I mean, brilliant though because it's just that it's so clear. It almost I think it narrows your focus in a way, and you are gonna you kind of play a better standard of golf because it's like this is what you have to do. You know, sixteen. Yeah. There's no getting away from it. It's the best part of a two thirty to two forty five yard par three, depending on where the pin is, and it's just hard to hold that green. So you hit a decent shot, and you're probably gonna have to putt from off the green and, and hit a really good lag putt. 17 that's one of the most unique tee shots i've ever seen mm. having having to basically hit like a 
a long iron or a wood sort of 240 or so onto the island if you pull it left it's just going to hit a really firm fairway and run into the burn if you push it right you're gonna have a trickier lie but yeah you then you're then left with another sort of 190 to 200 yard shot in just awesome and then 18 as you say sam like it's all on the drive there just you've got a slot driver. You can't <laughs> bail. You can't bail left because you're in, your, in the burn or further up your OB. You bail right. You're in the burn. And even if you just kind of leak one, you're maybe in the bunkers. So um, it's just, yeah. I just thought it was such a brilliant test of golf. And I I get that a lot of people don't want to go there and, and have their game put under a microscope. But there are a lot of other courses out there. And and I think for people who really want to sort of see a course that isn't brutal but it is testing. It's hard to think of many places better than that. I would caveat it with, like we mentioned earlier on, like the rough, there has been some rough management. They they chopped it down basically with the idea of by the time it's summer, it's it's up again, but thinner, you know, find your ball, but you're still punished, that sort of thing. Um, so we were a little bit sort of had a bit more of a benefit off the tee than, than maybe we could have. Um, but it was some golf course. I was really, really, really impressed by the whole thing and the whole place really. And then the really exciting part was Tuesday, wasn't it? So you've never mm. played the old, getting to see your no. little face um, on that first tee. That was an yeah. experience. I mean, there's nothing like it, is there? The thing, our first tee shot of the old, we, 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 were, we were the first group out. Um, I ran down the fairway, put the camera in place, came back, got ready, Bruce tees off. Okay, is it my go? Yeah, tee in the ground. Looked up, addressed the ball, and thought, "Fuck, I'm on the old course." You know, like I hadn't, <laughs> I had jobs up until that point. I had things to do, and I did those things, and I kind of kept off pushing back what was about to happen. And then you stood there with, for those who haven't played the old course, literally the world in front of you. It's the just, I mean, what's the fairway like? A hundred meters wide, I mean, thirty, isn't it? Cement. I mean, well, probably one twenty, one ten to one twenty at the widest part. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and it actually, it's actually quite disconcerting because you're not staring down a tree line. You're not staring down bunkers thinking, right, I want to peel it off that. You're thinking, yeah, what do I, where do I go? Just down the middle. Like it's all, it's the opposite to Carnoustie that we're talking about where it kind of channels your focus. Those yeah. last three holes. First of the old, it's like, oh my God, what do I aim at? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, on the line to the hole, if, if you, if you, if you're good and you, and you hit a big ball and you hit a little bit of a block, then there probably is some, some trouble to be had. But apart from that, there's, it's fairly. fairly what did you make free, of it? it? Because I mean, like, you know, me and Bruce have played it before I rate it. I think Bruce really rates it as well, but you, first time you've played it and going in and having done multiple podcasts with Mike Clayton, listen to people talk about the brilliance of the course. And then it's mega unique, isn't it? What was your hmm. take on it? I, I can see why it it um, splits people's opinions. It it was a course that, to all intents and purposes, there's no dramatics to it. It's fairly tea and green and roughly on the same topography. It's kind of like, okay, it's a fairly um, topographically flat place. But then when you get to to the green complexes and you see what's in front of you, I mean, it's just like, I think Bruce in the afternoon – had a shot in on the second and it was like you could only have been about 25 yards from the the pin mm. but just had no shot like absolutely there's nothing in front of him just swales but it was like there was no shot yeah and that's the genius of it isn't it that it's by by good luck or judgment um 
it's puts it if you put the ball in the wrong place um you're going to get punished and if you put it in the right place you can score and i think that's that's the point of a fair golf course isn't it what was yeah it like? it's accessible yeah. to everyone like that that course i would say on that note and the premium on accuracy is definitely nowhere near as high as a place like carnoustie but i just think it is the most fun golf course in the world really and it's obviously i yeah, have bias because i spent so much time at uni there but there's all you always get that drama like coming in the town's getting closer towards you as you kind of play from maybe 12 onwards it's just it's just this building kind of sense of anticipation and, and pressure and mm. and then yeah 16 17 18 it's yeah it's fantastic one thing i would say is we didn't have caddies because of um covid and and the restrictions that were in place and obviously bruce has played there lived there and played there a lot and you know, there are certain holes, uh, you'll have to tell me, the par five on the back, 12, 14. Is it? 14, 14, where you kind of go left and there's basically right. Now you need to go down the, what fairway? Fifth? Fourth. Fourth, fourth. You need to go down the fourth fairway. Don't go anywhere near the 14th because that's just, that's hell if you go down there. Just don't go down there. Go down the fourth. Yeah. And it's weird. If you're not going for two, yeah. Yeah. If you don't know it. You know, there's no way you could you could know that. You know, I would say if you if you are going to play it like like I did for the first time, certainly get somebody who knows what they're doing because mm. um, it does it does sort of help to know where you're going. And there's that sort of section around eight to twelve that's all kind of crisscrossy and fairly confusing if you don't know what you're doing. I would say, um, but yeah, I find well, seven really hard. I find seven a really difficult golf hole. I mean, I necked two balls morning and afternoon off the tee, which never helps. But mm. I find it really awkward hole. Um, Where that really, pin is, really is tough. Yeah, that is the toughest right. pin. Ticked, tucked on the right, kind of just under that, on that bottom tier, mini tier, really. Yeah, that is as hard as it gets. But mm. then, I mean, turning for, turning for home at 12 when we played in the afternoon and it was howling into our face. Wow. That was That's a completely was... different experience, the old. Mm. That's what I was going to say. The morning, I mean, the old just just showed what exactly what it's about because in the morning we played it in a fairly still conditions. We were basically primarily filming in the morning. So there was no really score taking going on, but it was fairly benign and it was like just hitched golf shots. That's fine. And in the afternoon, there could have, we probably seven hours between those two rounds of golf. Um, yeah. And the wind had just turned on and it was down on the front and into on the back nine. And it was just, you know, you just kind of don't feel it when it's downwind. You just kind of hit shots and think, yeah, this is okay. I can play golf. This seems doable. Turn, we turned around on sort of 12 and I was like, I really don't know how to play golf anymore. Like this is just uh, brutal. Especially into the left left to right wind there. I mean, where it's pushing you towards the OB coming in. Um, it's tricky and it's just, I mean, yeah, we were in that fortunate position where we'd had the chance to play it in the morning. So you're comparing yourself on clubs. It's like, yeah, granted, I didn't hit a great tee shot in the in the afternoon, but I hit driver four iron, I think, into seventeen in the morning. I'd hit driver gap wedge, and it's like mm. yeah. that. That is an absolutely nuts contrast. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of seventeen in the morning, right. how how was it teeing off seventeen on an Instagram live? Yeah, that all of a oh, sudden wow. hits you when the tee goes goes in the ground, doesn't it? I wonder how many followers. Yeah, how many how many <laughs> people listening to this tuned into that that live? Quite a bit of pressure, actually. I mean, yeah, you felt quite a bit gun. of pressure on that on that. You had a good drive down there, didn't you, Sam? As you say, you <laughs> snotted, snotted one down the middle, and then just proceeded to just get up there and half balled an eight iron. You were so nervous. 
I just got over it and thought this turf is really tight. Like I felt like I was going to airshot this. I've got to jump I'm up really, on this one. I really hope the camera was off by then because I'd absolutely <laughs> I'm slotted drive to use your expression down 17. I was in the mayor's office. And I was like, just get by the way, for, for a normal handicap golfer, I would say I'm a normal. I represent the average man. Uh, that t-shirt over the hotel is really, really scary. Mm. I didn't believe you when <laughs> yeah. you're like, it's the, it's, it's the, the O of hotel or whatever. I was like, no, that's somebody's garden, right? So I'll go down there and that's where I'm supposed to go. And then I was your miles left, but that is, that's really scary. That you can t-shirt. go well, right. Can't you? You, I mean, it, it, yeah. it never we thought felt, I was OB I never, in the morning, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. I hit a slice, you know, I, I missed the ball right typically. And I, the number of times I've played it, I've never been further right than I've never been too right. Like I've always been too mm. cautious. It's, Scary, Everyone, scary. that's a claim there. We can hold Sam to that. Might <laughs> <Going laughs> come back. Anyway, um, yeah. final final course of the leg um, of the first leg, Crail. Which now I think that we, we... is, I think, you know, the sneaky, flying under the radar, but probably the most um, su- like pleasantly surprising course that we we played there. Really, you were off. I mean, tour it was awesome. driving there. Wasn't you were it? fully off tour. We were, we were all just a bit, I think we were all just a bit fatigued, weren't we? Realising mm. the stupidity of playing 36 holes a day, getting up at 5.30am and not actually getting off the golf course until 8pm and just realising what a stupidly ambitious plan <laughs> that was. We were all, we were all just che- for several checked out a bit mentally. Mm. Yeah. But Crail was, was an absolute gem. And, mm. and I mean, shout out to David Roy because you know, I think we've had the, the fortune to meet quite a few club managers and um, secretaries in our time, you know, doing story of a golf club and, and filming courses and getting to to understand these clubs a bit better. And I mean, David Roy, just what an incredible guy there who had such an unbelievable command of like the history of Crail and the history of Scottish golf more broadly, but also just made us feel so welcome there as well, really. I mean, those, we've kind of rolled out the red carpet, really. Those greens mm. were the best that we've putted on in, in the, the, certainly the last best. 12 months. Yeah, yeah. So, for sure. So, when we were, Bruce, we, we were obviously COVID times and couldn't get a sandwich or a coffee. So Bruce, when we dropped me off at seven o'clock in the morning to do droning, because we started a little bit later at Crail, because the first tee wasn't until nine of anybody because of the frost. So we started at seven, did an hour. Bruce is right, boys. I'm going to go get, go back to taste, go back to the sponsors, make sure that their pockets are filled, come back. Um, and we're there and... I think we, we were all just kind of thinking, yeah, okay, this is, this is going to be okay. And we were absolutely blown away by the whole place. I don't I know think... whether I tempered your excitement on it too much or something. Because I'd played it five years ago and thought it was good. Like, really, really good. But not like, right home about it good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, yeah. and Sam was sold. Sam was buying a membership before we left. He was like, I, yeah, I was blown away. But it had a, like... The greens were the best we played on 12 yeah. months. The course was out. It was out all in all the courses mm. we played, but it's that beautiful mm. sort of yellow gorse. Mm. Yes, it was lovely weather, but the tranquility, the experience, just the vibe when you were out playing the course was different. It was, you know, kind of like that broader mm. feeling where there's just a, a different feeling in the air for some reason. Yeah. A lot of people just quite inquisitive, weren't they? Curious yeah. and like, oh, you know, you're doing some filming work. That's awesome. Like, like I've been curious it. or... <laughs> It, it obviously also really helps, doesn't it, when you have brilliant sunshine, which we did there. And obviously, yeah. these views are are pretty dramatic, like looking across the kind of craggy shoreline and the cape holes that you've been <laughs> alluding to, Sam, on the front nine there. And I guess in a way, like if Carnoustie was 
the ultimate championship test of golf and the old course was a slight step down from that in terms of difficulty. Crail at sort of 5,900 yards just felt like real, real fun. And I, mm. I know people say, well, yeah, you know, it's not long course. It's not that challenging. But to me, it just seems like a kind of false dichotomy, really, to think that a, a, a tough course is a good course or a good course has to be a, a challenging course because we had so much fun at, at Crail, didn't we? Just kind of, you know, letting loose on driver and some of the cool shots you get around the greens there and just taking it easy really and not having yeah. to concentrate so hard over every shot. I, I'd go as far as to say, I mean, we, we've played a lot of nice courses in Scotland now over our filming series and, you know, take away the old cause I, I can't be a member of the old, but if I was, if I was going to play my, my membership golf somewhere, if I examined membership and I lived in Scotland, I mean, you can't go wrong with playing every day at Crail. Like you'd have a fun time every single time you stepped out on the golf course, which you can't say about a course that's got the potential to beat you up. You know, you can't say it about, about a because you'd you be a good ball striker, wouldn't you? But it's yeah, too much every day. Yeah. And you just have, you'd have fun every single day at Crail. It was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, mentioned Dave Roy earlier, obviously part of the, the tour on the way up was getting to interview um, some of the people who knew these clubs best. And I think, you know, I want to say a, a bit of a shout out there and a thank you to everyone who we spoke to um, during the course of, of this trip, because it was brilliant learning more about these clubs from, from the people who know it best and have spent you know, decades there. So at Carnoustie, Trevor Williamson, John Phillip, um, Pat Sawyers were all just an absolute delight to, to talk to. Um, the old course obviously spoke to Laurie Watson, which was fascinating to get the Lynx Trust perspective on things, as well as Gordon McKee, who's the head greenkeeper there, and just gave us a pretty cool insight into what it's like looking after um, such a historic course, as well as Roger McStravick as well, who is the probably the leading expert from what we can glean on on old Tom Morris and indeed the Morris family. Um, and then David Royal Crail, like obviously you, you we're looking forward to sharing those interviews mm. with you all in due course, but it was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty cool just to, to kind of dig into some of the history there and, and find out more about Scottish golf in general, obviously old Tom Morris's legacy, which is what this project is working towards and, and also the clubs themselves on a kind of individual basis. Yeah. First class was now, I mean, John in particular, just jumping back to Carnoustie for a second, I mean, I was chatting to him before you guys were rolling with the interview and stuff, but unbelievable when you hear him talking about kind of when he came to Carnoustie, the course was really kind of, you know, in the wilderness really, for want of a mm. better term, and bringing that back to championship standard and, you know, being in charge of the links when, you know, obviously Paul Laurie won there in 1999, I think, didn't he? And, and, and kind of that year, and it's like, Bloody hell. Yeah. Just incredible mm. hearing about how he kind of went about setting the mm. course up and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, oh, the course was set up too difficult. We'd never want to go back to those days again. But, um, you know, Carnoust is a course with a reputation there. And, uh, you know, just just fascinating, really. So many good people. I don't know why, but, you know, you just seem, they seem to come out of every single orifice in Scotland, don't mm. they? These types of people with incredible stories in the game and so many different journeys. They all exist in England for sure, but they just don't seem to be as yeah. many of them. Like mm. they're just that, like you couldn't move for people who wanted to just spend half an hour talking to you about, you know, yeah. kind of stuff they've done in and around the game. It just, I think there's just a plethora of people in Scotland that are very proud of their golf course. 
and they learn Passionate, about it. Yeah. They take, yeah, they take time to learn about their golf courses and they want to tell you about their golf courses, which is brilliant because part of the reason we do what we do is to pass on the information that well, hopefully will last forever. And there are certain people that you talk to in, in the whole time that we've done, you realize they're only doing what they do. Like, like Sid Matthew, you know, he, he was only wanted to pass on that information because he was aware that when, when he goes, that information has got to survive somehow. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Getting this information. But what I would say about Playing doing forward, research, yeah. what I would say about doing research on these places, if you research Carnoustie and you look at the 2018 uh, Open and you see them driving the first with an iron, uh, that's not how it plays. <laughs> yeah, that was weird because we were going <laughs> off there. I know we, 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 we're kind of going on a bit here, but we were talking about going, these guys are driving it and, yeah, I mean, it was that played morning was, and afternoon, full long. driver seven iron, but it was fully baked out, wasn't it? In fairness, and it was downwind. It was, it was like where we were into, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, keep your keep your eyes peeled um, over the coming weeks and months for keep your ears content. <laughs> which we got up, yeah, I'm not going to get sucked into that. I've probably made too many linguistic errors already on this podcast, but yeah, uh, keep an eye out over the coming weeks and months for that content which will be releasing um yeah there are some brilliant stories there i think that that hopefully you'll enjoy the slightly different pieces that we're we're putting out because as i say there'll be plenty of focus on the history of these clubs and and figures like old tom morris and the kind of legacy that they have left uh, at clubs like carnoustie in the old course and crail and yeah um as as ever get in touch smash that subscribe button or is it smash the like button? i can't believe it. i can't believe I this has ever solicited people to subscribe <laughs> take activity call ctas as you'd call them in the marketing business call to action from bruce fitzpatrick here i want to see people liking subscribing commenting i want reviews thanks for checking out our merch drop in the week i could brilliant. tell you i could tell you that 80 percent of our people listen on apple Podcasts. while you're there why don't you drop us a review tell us how good we are it really helps oh, us no, out okay now you've absolutely taken it too far <laughs> i see i give you boys I, an inch and you take a mile i, think I can see why you boys an inch walking you into your studio as we speak and uh, do keep your eyes out because in the, the coming weeks we're going to release the tailor-made videos that uh we filmed when we were doing a fitting with those guys so that's going to come out soon and, and if you can't keep them out just keep them open oh okay yeah See ya. Adios. <laughs> you just brutalized me in public. <laughs>